Welcome to Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups. I'm Tracy Brown, the fraud-busting body language expert. I've spent the last 20 years reading people, uncovering secrets hidden in plain sight to find the truth in crimes, politics, and billion-dollar business deals. And I want you to be able to tell whose pants are on fire, make better decisions, and build your bottom line as well. Get ready. Let's dive in. It's Tracy, and I am back again with another episode of Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups with my trusty super producer, Alex. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Thanks for having me, Tracy. Glad to be here. Oh, yeah, for sure. So uh, when was the last time you were in Hawaii? I have never been to Hawaii. I just what? vicariously through you and all of your trips to Hawaii. Oh, my. I've been to Hawaii probably 30 times. I love it. Oh, never been. Yeah. Um, if, if I were headed that way, I would probably take, I think, a left turn, head south, and continue on to Easter Island and go see the Moai sticking out of the ground, the thousands of Moai. I heard you know that those, yeah, well, yeah, I do, those big statues. I heard that some of those burned. You can't a burn fire. rock. Well, I don't know. I'm just saying. Huh. But I think uh, we need to talk about Hawaii, though. Okay, let's go. Let's stick with Hawaii, even yeah. though I think Easter Island would be more interesting. Yeah. But, well, well, know. my husband won't, won't let me go to Hawaii on uh, Thursday. How come? Because terrible crimes happen. In Hawaii like every every what? Thursday. On Thursdays? That's crime day? <laughs> oh, well, yeah, because he's been watching this new reality show, Hawaii Five-0. It's a news, uh-huh. news show. Mm-hmm. That's, wait, that, uh, okay, reality show, Five-0. Got it. <laughs> it took me a second, but I'm there. I'm there I gotcha. It just took me a second. <laughs> On Thursdays, I see Thursdays, how that crime works. day in Honolulu. How did I not see that coming? no but today here's the deal we're going to talk to um jeff owens who is super cool and and he was a hostage negotiator wasn't he yeah he was a hostage negotiator yeah he helped start the department of hostage negotiation in the honolulu police department and why would they negotiate with a hostage well here's the deal the idea you got two choices when you got a hostage situation Okay, you can uh, go in there, guns blazing, and shoot them. Hope you get them. I was you trying can... to get you back for you getting me on the earlier one. Oh, you you didn't bite. Oh, what was what what was the hang on? Why would you negotiate with a hostage? I don't know. They could just come out anytime they want. There's no negotiation needed. You're supposed to negotiate to get them out. That's the whole point. Okay, well that's a whole different thing. Okay, see what I mean? I was trying to get you, and it just didn't it, work. It you didn't, didn't work. And now I've fallen on my face with this thing. You have. So tell us more about uh, Negotiator Jeff. <laughs> he helped start this in the in the Honolulu police. Okay. Right? So here's the thing. It's about strategically talking to people uh-huh. so that they they give up their position and, and everything bad that's been going on. Like, huh. Yeah. And, and, and so you can have this peaceful resolution. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And so he was the one, did he pioneer the whole thing or he just brought it to the Honolulu police? Well, he he started studying all kinds of different negotiation books, not not police related. And mm-hmm. he and pretty soon people started calling him to get these situations to end peacefully. And then uh, and then he started actually officially studying the stuff and they were like, all right. You're the guy. So does this have anything to do with the book that I have on my dining room table that I stole from your office like four months ago? Uh, It's a yellow book and it says negotiate like your life depends on it. Um, Did you steal it from me? Yes. Oh. 
<laughs> yeah, he would he would read those kind of books and and apply it. And he has some stories that are crazy, right out of. And it's just like Hawaii Five O, same thing on Thursdays. Mm-hmm, Thursday. So we're gonna have to post that on a Thursday. You realize that? Well, we might have to now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Let's go hear what Jeff has to say. Let's talk to Jeff. It's Tracy and I am back with another episode of Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups. And I have with me today, Jeff Owens, who I got to say, when I met you, I was like, this guy is a little bit like Magnum. He's a, he's a, (laughs) a private investigator on uh on oahu and and so i just said you know what i have to know you (laughs) so so welcome to the show ah it's great to be here aloha aloha so um you know it's a little known fact that i am a hula dancer i'm not a very good hula dancer i'm i'm the howley they let jump around in the back (laughs) hey listen you gotta be better than me Maybe by a little bit, but I always love to get my island fix on. So um, here's what's interesting about you is that you uh, were a hostage negotiator for a time. And can you fill us in? Because didn't you start the program there in Honolulu or why don't you fill us no, in? Well, I can't, I can't, can't take 100% credit for that, but I was uh, called one of the founding members of the hostage crisis negotiation unit, originally just a hostage negotiation unit. Uh, so we kind of go back into the 1980s, and I was at the time I was a detective in the Honolulu Police Department. <laughs> and a little bit of a kind of, it's fun to get the backstory of this kind of stuff, because in the 1980s, the whole concept of hostage negotiation, later becoming hostage crisis, crisis communication, was new in the whole field of law enforcement. And it oh. actually started in the mid-70s and kind of was making its way forward. But it takes a while for these things to happen. And so I tell people, you know, back in the day, you know, the way we uh, that we in the law enforcement and the Honolulu Police Department would deal with violence is we bring more violence into the situation that's already there. Our violence would overcome their violence and we win. <laughs> fortunately, sometimes some of us got a little bit injured in that process. So this idea of hostage negotiation had started to be, you know, kind of making its headway. And I'd learned about it. And I was fascinated by it. Uh, I was never physically a very large person. So the idea of, you know, not having to tangle with, you know, knuckle draggers seemed like a really good idea to me, you know. So uh, I approached the uh, major of the criminal investigation division at the time. And I said, hey, boss, there's this new thing out there. It's called hostage negotiation that we actually go out and talk to the bad guys rather than just run in there and tangle with them. And his literal response was, is, Owens, that's a fad. It's not going to last. It's going to go away. <laughs> a fad. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so I was like, come on, boss. You got to let me do it. We got to do this. We got to give it a try. Got to give it a try. So he said, I'll tell you what. Here's the deal. If you want to let the officers, the detectives, people out there know that you're available to come out and talk to people, fine. Go ahead and do it. But we don't have any program. Uh-huh. We don't have any training. I won't pay you overtime. Uh-huh. And if anything goes bad, we never had this conversation. 
<laughs> oh my well there's that is the most supportive conversation i've ever heard but he was really actually was a great guy and we got along really well but you know that was just kind of that was how things were done back in the old days kind of a thing right so i'm like great boss that sounds fantastic you know and that's kind of where it started so uh, I started getting a few calls. I kind of put the word out through, you know, through the department. If you got anything going on, you know, I, I'm available, you know. And I'd start getting these phone calls, you know, usually at zero dumb 30 in the morning. Okay, but wait, back up, yeah. back up. Yeah. Did you take any training or did you just read a book or like what? <laughs> how did you, <laughs> what, you put your hostage negotiator hat on at what point, Jeff? I mean, I'm a highly versatile person. <laughs> And I'm a risk taker. So basically what happened is I knew I had good people skills. Uh -huh. uh, I'd been a street cop for a long, long time. I'd been mm -hmm. undercover where I had to play the role, make people, con you know, convince people I wasn't a cop. Otherwise, it would kill me, things mm -hmm. of that nature. So, you know, I knew I was good at dealing with people, relating to people, uh, had good communication skills, basically. So I didn't have any formal training. But what I did do is I started reading books on sales negotiation. Really? Yeah. I mean, it was the only thing out there at the time that I was aware of. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, because so I read a few books on the basics of sales negotiation, you know, because I figured, well, negotiations, negotiation. Right. Mm -hmm. So I had you know, started getting some foundational ideas, you know, from that, you know. Now, what, uh, what was your what was your foundational idea? Yeah. I mean, as far as. Uh, yeah. As far as negotiation, what's what was the principle that you were like, oh, I'll do that. You know, it turns out and I, I, I it turns out I was very, very fortunate that I kind of stumbled on uh, the idea. And it turns out it's been validated over the decades now mm -hmm. is a couple of things. Number one is try to understand why. Why is this person doing what they're doing? What mm -hmm. is their reason? There, there is always a reason. There's always a why. Mm -hmm. And there was something in me that told me, maybe I can learn to understand the why behind the why. Because mm -hmm. oftentimes there's something, there's the superficial why of what people are telling yeah. you, maybe what they're upset about, what they're angry about, you know, why they're doing what they're doing. But there's a reason that they got into that position in the first place. Yeah. And I actually, to this day, in, my, in many of my presentations, I talk about if we can learn to understand the why, it will inform the what. What are they doing and what I need to do in response to that? If I can inform the what, now it's going to empower the how. Mm -hmm. Now I can start to identify how I'm going to interact with the person in a way that we come to a conclusion that I want us to come to. So that why led me to understand the importance of empathy. Okay. Um, creating that relationship of understanding you know a lot of people get confused empathy and conf and uh, sympathy are not the same thing right right i mean you clearly you know you're very clear but for some people out there they still kind of interchange those you know sympathy is sharing the feeling of the other person identifying with the feeling of the other person empathy is understanding the feeling of the other person Mm -hmm. why they are acting. I don't have to agree with it. I don't have to like it. I can think they are, you know, completely crazy. I can think that they are horrible human, you know, to engage in this behavior, but I have to understand it. 
So now that I can understand it, I can figure out how I'm going to interact and relate to this person and talk to them in a way that respects their dignity. So that became the real foundation and not all all the I, I mean as you know i'm a professional speaker also oh yeah and uh and the foundation of what i speak on is as understanding the power of respect oh wow okay okay yeah because if i don't respect this person in this highly charged highly emotional you know highly volatile situation if i don't respect this person things are going to go bad Absolutely. I don't have to, yeah, I don't have to like them. Mm-hmm. I don't have to agree with them. But as I tell one of my little memes in, is that it's okay to dislike. Mm-hmm. It's okay to disagree, but it's not okay to disrespect. Got it. Okay, so so you oh, So anyway, go to your to you, the quick answer to your the question was cuz I is that I learned to understand the power of respect gain through empathy by understanding I needed to know the why. Okay. So then you're taking this into, okay. So the phone starts ringing <laughs> and, and I have this joke with my husband because I've gotten to speak over in Honolulu a couple times. My husband says, we cannot go to Honolulu on Wednesday. I'm like why? Any, he goes, any Wednesday we cannot go. He goes, because he goes, I've been watching this new news show, Hawaii Five O. <laughs> <And, laughs> terrible, terrible things happen every Wednesday in Honolulu. So I'm assuming you got this call on Wednesday, like your first call. <laughs> so, so you know, I- that's a good question. I should have I should go back and look at some of my old cases, you know. Actually, you know, I'm kind of like, you know, hmm, I wonder if Wednesdays are uh I don't know. I I, I don't I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, but I would get a number of calls, and I started getting calls from you know from the street cops, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, you know I knew a lot. Yeah, I've, I've always got along well with the guys. Yeah, uh, I was a street cop. You know, yeah. so I'd get these calls, and usually, like I said, it'd be like zero dumb thirty in the morning, right? On Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people don't do they good things in the middle of they do stupid things. <laughs> zero dumb 30 in Anything the morning after 10 p.m it just it's all wrong <laughs> yeah yeah it's like you know they're too drunk too stupid <laughs> too emotional and they do stupid things so anyway so i get these calls and usually it was something like you know somebody was drunk didn't want to let his girlfriend out of the apartment or something like that mm-hmm. and usually you know i could arrive by the time i wash my face get on you know put some clothes on and drive to wherever this was the guy's kind of started to sober up, realize he's in a situation he doesn't want to be in. Mm-hmm. By the way, there's a point we can talk on. Uh, oh, yeah, let's let, let's let's talk about that then since we're here. Yep. What's the um, what's the do they have a like a series of like people who are taken hostage hostages? Do they have a series of steps that they go through to where they just end up at? Oh, I'm screwed. <laughs> yeah, like, is, is there is there like something written down somewhere where you kind of know, okay, we're almost there, like that kind of thing? Or tell me about that. Uh, well, let's go. Let's go to the, the the beginning. Most people who take a hostage mm-hmm. don't want to be a hostage taker. Okay, explain that. Okay, yeah, this is this is important. Most people end up as a hostage taker because they got maybe responded, like I said, they're too drunk or too emotional or both, right? Mm-hmm. And then they do stupid things. They let their emotions carry them away and they become irrational. 
and they do irrational things. And it's like they don't really uh, understand the consequences of their action at the time because their, their emotions have taken over. They've lost reason. They've lost logic. It's like, there's no way I'm letting you out that door. You know, you, you know, I love you so much. I'm going to hold you here. <laughs> you know, stupid thing. Yeah, right? that, that, that's a way to win a good relationship right there. Yeah. You know, that's a really good way to, you know, and, uh, or off to or another, I mean, there's a lot of things that can go be that the motivator, right? It might be that uh, their emotion is one of um, you're, you're making me feel insignificant. So I have to do something to make me feel powerful. Oh, really? Oh, now that is interesting. Yeah. I mean, and now this isn't something conscious on their part. Sure, sure. This is the emotion behind it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, in the world of interpersonal violence, there's kind of an understanding. Uh, a guy named uh, Cahill, who's very well known in the world of uh, you know workplace violence and this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, he and again, uh, I wish I could remember his, uh, the person who co-wrote with him. But they pointed out that the, the basis for uh, interpersonal violence is a effort to gain or regain a sense of control. You know, we talk about people being out of control. Well, there's a reality to that. They literally are. And sometimes in their flailing and struggling to try to get a sense of control, they end up doing really stupid things. Mm -hmm. Now, I kind of, for me, I take that kind of a a step a little bit further, a little bit deeper Mm -hmm. Uh, based on what I my experiences and my interpretation of those experiences is that so why is control so important because if you don't have a sense of control it doesn't have to be a hundred percent but if you don't feel you have some control you become meaningless it it goes to the very essence of your identity the very essence of your existence Mm-hmm. If I cannot participate in some way and exercise at some level of control, then it means I'm I'm meaningless. I'm insignificant. Mm-hmm. My existence has no no meaning. Mm-hmm. You know. Now again, these are not conscious things that people are thinking, but that's that emotion that is driving them to do these really really terrible things because. It's, it's really an attempt to try to save their, their very existence, their very identity. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a lot of contributing factors. Now, that's going really, really deep into that. Sure. You know, but like I say, it could be the person was just maybe drunk and just got stupid and didn't right. realize the consequences. Mm-hmm. Or it could be an oftentimes very, very uh, in-depth emotion. Mm-hmm. You know, which has driven it, such as we just talked about. Some hostage situation is maybe the crook is just too stupid to get away before the cops arrive and find themselves caught into the building. Oh, their people. Uh-huh. You know, that's the classic, you know, bank robber type of thing. Uh-huh. Some store robbery, you know, that turns into a hostage situation. You know, that person didn't go into that 7-Eleven store or a bank with the idea that I'm going to take hostages. They went in there that I'm going to steal the money. And get out. All of a sudden, the cops showed up. Uh huh. (laughs) It spoiled the plan. (laughs) Right, right. Because the cops were at the donut shop next door. So that. So okay. So do you remember your first call? 
Uh, actually, yes, and it was exactly that. It was a it was a a, a guy was drunk uh-huh. and didn't want to let his girlfriend out of the apartment, and she managed to call nine one one, and the cops came. Uh-huh. And so they just went. They didn't even. They just said, "Let's call Jeff." <laughs> So let's call Jeff. Okay. Yeah, let's call Jeff. So so you show up Mm -hmm. and like, what happens? Do you knock on the door? Do you call him? Like, what do you do? Yeah. And and in in this case, this is in the beginning. We did not have, you know, we did not have any, like, we didn't have cell phones in those days, by the way. Mm-hmm. Right. Those came later. Yep. <laughs> this is how ancient this is. This is what eight or mid eighties, early eighties. Yeah, this is early eighties. Uh huh. You know, eighty two, eighty three, something like that. So if you had one, it was like a backpack. Oh, we eventually <laughs> got one. It was one of those brick phones. Yeah, yeah. And it had a maximum life of about an hour. Like on Mash. <laughs> <laughs> it was really, you know, you know, yeah, the one from Mash. You know, the other thing. Yeah, the leftovers. Yeah, yeah so I went up <laughs> and knocked on the door. Government surplus. Okay, so you're on your government. Surplus. No, I didn't even that. I would. I walked up and knocked on the door. Okay, you know? so you knocked on the door, and, and they opened the door. I mean, what happened? Nope, no. He starts yelling through the door. You know, to go away, go away. F you guys. You know, you got no business here. Uh-huh. You know, everything's fine. You know, she loves me. We're just having a disagreement. I can hear her in the background saying, "I want out." You know, and, <laughs> you know, and uh, but you could tell by his voice he was, you know, pretty drunk. You know, uh-huh. so I said, you know what? Let me let me give it some thought. I told him that. I said, let me give it some thought. Okay. About how how are we going to do do this? And I did this on purpose because one of the things in negotiations is to buy time, mm-hmm. right? Because of a couple things. One is if the person's intoxicated, you know, you give them a little bit of a chance to kind of sober up, up a little, little bit. Yeah. Maybe the hangover's getting that. I'm not very, I don't want to be here anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're highly irrational, it gives a little bit of that pause a time to kind of start to come back down to rationality. What mm-hmm. you don't want to do is put them at that point under more pressure mm-hmm. that will escalate their fears. Cause mm-hmm. again, going back, they're operating from a position of fear. Absolutely. Right. Fear of lack of control, fear mm-hmm. of lack of being important, lack of, mm-hmm. you know. So so I basically figured I'd buy some time. So I waited about a half an hour, and I went back and knocked on the door again. And he's like, ah, you know, I told you guys, go away already. I said, you know what? Look, brother, come on. You don't want to be in this situation. Uh-huh. So let's do this. Why don't you just let your girlfriend come out, and you'll be okay. You and I will just keep talking for a little while. Uh-huh. And it kind of paused a little bit, and then the door opened, and she walked out. Oh. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> okay. And I, no one was more surprised than me. Oh, my God. <laughs> because I had never done this stuff. I had no training. Uh-huh. I'm picking it up as I go along, uh-huh. right? And I'm like, wow, this actually worked. <laughs> so, um, so she comes out, and I kept my word. I let him close the door, and I t- just kept talking to him for a little while. Uh-huh. And then I started, then I did something also very important in any negotiation situation. Stop talking and start listening. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so then I'm like, okay, that was great. Fantastic. I'll tell you what, what's going on? Why, 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 why did this happen? What's going on? Mm-hmm. 
And then I gave him a chance to vent about, you know, how she treated him so badly and she thinks she's running around with other guys and, and this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, this whole litany of things that was his basis for his grievance, right? Mm-hmm. And I just listened. I did the act of listening, just, uh-huh, mm. yeah, oh, you know, can you tell me a little more about that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing, right? Right. And I just let him ramble, you know. And after a while, he kind of talked himself out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think we've all experienced that situation where, you know, you get really emotional about something, angry, mm-hmm. hurt, frustrated, whatever it might be. You get really angry, right? Mm-hmm. But then you get a chance to kind of vent. And when it's all done, it's like, ah, I'm tired. Yeah, totally. <laughs> right? right? It's hard, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to maintain anger. That was something else I just kind of intuitively learned from being mm-hmm. a street cop, you know. Later, I did get training, and I found the training validated all this stuff that I'd learned as a street cop, uh-huh. right? And so I just let him until he vented, and then he was kind of, he stopped, he got quiet, and I said, you done? You know, yeah. Let's just tell you what. You know we're going to have to arrest you. Uh-huh. It's not that big of a deal. Nobody got hurt. It was just kind of a situation here. Come on out. I promise the guys we're not going to rough you up or anything. Come on out. We'll, we'll take care of this booking. And then, you know, you can get a good night's sleep after that. Uh-huh. He did. We did. And that was the first case I had. Oh, my gosh. So so then what's the uh, what was your boss's response? You know, this is cool. <laughs> yeah, really. So shortly after, I actually had a couple of small things like that. And then the boss said, you know, we're going to form a unit. Mm-hmm. So they selected uh, who the guy at the time was uh, Lieutenant uh, Gary Diaz, a very good friend of mine. He's since passed away. Mm-hmm. A wonderful guy. Uh, he at the time was the lieutenant in charge of the uh, uh, homicide detail. Mm-hmm. And so they said, Gary, you know, he, the boss went to him and said, Gary, you know, form, form a team. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we at that point became an official unit. At that point, I was not, we became an official unit. Uh, we formed two teams of three people each. Mm-hmm. Um, one of us was, you know, the primary team and the others were back up in case somebody wasn't available. You know, and that's where we moved forward from there. Wow. Now, did you ever have any... Um... Any incidents that were many days in uh, the, the, where you had to take shifts and things like that? No, luckily, you know, the vast majority of the situations, uh, you know, I can see, you know, guys in you know places like Chicago, L.A., you know, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, they're going to have some really. Most of our situations were not super long term. I think probably the longest one we went was 12 or 14 hours. Oh boy. So yeah. what, what went on in that one? Like how, how'd you end up? Did you come to a peaceful? Uh... That one is the only one that I was ever involved in that unfortunately did not have a peaceful resolution. Oh yeah. So, and again, this was one of the very first as a team. Mm-hmm. So we'd formed this team. Uh, we started doing a little bit of self-training you know, and at that point, there was some resources from the FBI that we took advantage of. Mm-hmm. So we had a better understanding of things, you know, how it should work. And uh, luckily, you know, we worked really well together. So what happened, there was a escapee from uh, from the prison, like uh, Community Correctional Center. Uh-huh. 
And he got holed up in an apartment in an area called Waipahu here in, uh, mm-hmm. on, on Oahu. Sure. So he was, he was located and holed up. Um, when the SWAT team, well, the, what happened, let me back up on this because um, this is a long time ago. This is uh, mid-80s. So what happened is uh, a couple of officers went and respond, responded to, there's a call that, uh, you know, he might be at this particular apartment. Okay. You know, so two street cops uh, responded, you know, and they went to knock on, and they knocked on the door. He opens the door with an AK-47. Oh, boy. Yeah. And uh, takes two hostages, uh, the two cops as hostage. Oh, shoot. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so... That's when, you know, SWAT team gets the call, right? And so they respond out there. And uh, then they call us as the negotiators, you know. Mm-hmm. So we get there on scene and uh, we had a landline you know, connection to the apartment. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, one of the team members was female, mm-hmm. female officer, because we purposely, because, you know, females are sometimes going to relate to somebody better than males, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. And this, you know, mix on our team here. Mm-hmm. So um, she started talking to him and, you know, then we just kind of decided, you know, we'll kind of take turns and just kind of keep him going. But the problem came is every now and then, just randomly, he'd fire rounds through the wall. Uh-oh. You know, and so this AK-47 round just randomly going through this apartment wall. Who knows where they're going? Well, the walls aren't real thick in Hawaii. No, they're just thin, you know, drywall, you know, mm-hmm. sheetrock drywall uh, and a thin sheathing of wood on the outside. These are low, low-income apartments. You know, so the rounds are going right through like, like, like paper, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, we ended up talking to him. And uh, what had happened is one of the officers uh, just walked out. Oh. He just, you know, because... He says, you know, was something wrong with him? We didn't know about ice at the time. Mm-hmm. And the guy was high on ice. Oh, yeah, yeah, So, yeah. you know, with Kenny, and he walked out. The other officer what, didn't have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. So we actually talked to him and basically talked him into releasing the the other officer. I'd say negotiate, but we didn't offer him any exchange. Oh, okay. We just, just, you know, just kept telling him, look. You know, you've created a big situation for yourself. You know, you got an officer in there. You got a cop in there. You know, I mean, this is going to make it even harder for you to figure things out, get things, you know, this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So eventually let him out. You know, so now we just had a, a barricade situation. Yeah. Well, after that officer left, the SWAT, and this is, you know, nobody's going to be perfect all the time at everything, you know. Right. Um, SWAT did their best to, you know, surround and uh, isolate, you know, the, the, the building, mm-hmm. but there was a guy apparently lived like, you know, a, a floor down or something like that. He went up into the apartment. So now he has a, another person in the apartment. Like this a person, volunteer he, hostage a little bit. He's not a hostage. He is a volunteer. Uh-huh. We find out later, he just kept encouraging, you know, don't let the cops talk you into anything. Oh. You know, you take a stand, you make demands. So, um, and again, every now and then, rounds are being fired out through the walls. So, one of the demands I do remember very clearly is like, no way, this is going to happen. And this, I think, is important for maybe the, the, the audience or people listening to this, is learning to listen, not just hear mm-hmm. what is being said, but listen 
to what is being said and gain an understanding of the meaning of the words. If you understand the why, it's going to inform the what and then the how, right? So I'd, I was on the phone with him, you know, a lot. And I had a conversation and all of said, you know, you guys want me to come out, right? I said, that's exactly what we want. You know, we want you to come out. He says, I'll tell you what, you send my girlfriend in and then I'm going to let you be, let you take both of us out. That doesn't sound good. No, it doesn't, does it? Mm -mm. You start to listen. What does that imply? They're not going to walk out. They're not going to leave. They're going to, he's going to let us take both of them out. Got it. He was intending, one of the reasons he'd escaped from prison, one of his motivators in doing that, because the island's small and everybody knows he escaped from prison, he's going to get caught. Oh, yeah. His motivation is he believed his girlfriend was cheating on him. He wanted to hunt her down and kill her. Got it. That's why he had the AK-47. Oh, boy. <laughs> wow. So, Luckily, you know, you know, it was like all three of us just looked at each other and goes like, no, we understand what he's saying here. We're not letting him out. Uh -huh. So uh, we kept talking, kept talking. And again, we did take turns so that we ourselves would not get overtired out. The idea being to try to get him to wear out, get mm -hmm. him tired enough that he either gives up or goes to sleep, <laughs> which either one would be good. Right. And it would seem like every now and then he'd start to calm down. He'd start to get a little more rational, a little bit easier to deal with. And then next thing I know, bam, he's up hyper again, firing rounds through. So what had happened is the other guy gone in the, in the, into the apartment because he knew that he had ice. Oh. So they, he would like, hey, let's smoke some more. Uh -huh. And that oh. would crank him way back up again. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. So after about maybe, like I say, I... 12 to 14 hours of this, the SWAT commander at the time uh, says, look, this is, we can't, we can't let this continue with him firing rounds randomly. Mm -hmm. We have no idea where those bullets are going to go. And there was an elementary school, not too far away. It could it hit one of the kids at the school. There was a, you know, the H1 freeway wasn't that far. Mm -hmm. Those rounds could, could hit a passing car. Mm -hmm. So he says, you know, we, we got to put a stop to this. You know, they're just in, we're like, yeah, you know, we'll keep talking to him so you know where he is. He'll be on the end of the phone, <laughs> you know, because yeah. that's one of the things, again, kind of thrown in the midst of this thing. Sometimes your role uh, as a negotiator shifts from, you know, when there's absolutely there's no way this guy's coming out to make sure that the people going in know exactly where he's going to be. If you know that he's on the end of a hard line phone. Oh, interesting. even if he's on nowadays a mobile phone, if you know based on, you know, maybe the conversation, you know, where are you in the house? I'm in the kitchen. I'm in the bathroom. I'm in the bedroom, whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, so you can provide that intel, you know, but in this case, uh, so they fired in tear gas rounds into the apartment. Okay. You know, which logical thing to do. Unfortunately, tear gas rounds, uh, uh, I've been retired a while. I don't know if they've changed the munitions, but tear gas rounds get extremely hot. They're burning that's what causes the tear gas to be coming out of the canister. Okay. So it was hot enough that it ignited the carpet. The carpet ignited the draperies. Uh-oh. Fire started spreading inside of the apartment. Uh-huh. The person that had made his way in literally opened the door and walked out. Right? Uh-huh. But our bad guy, the prison escapee, didn't.
So he ended up asphyxiating in the building. What he had done is when this tear gas went off, then the fire started. And fire department's not going to go there when there's an active guy with a firearm in there. Oh, really? Right? Yeah, the fire department was standing by. And we're all, yeah, we understand. They're not going to send their firefighters in when this guy has just been shooting rounds through the wall. Right, right. right? Yeah. You know, that wouldn't make sense, uh-huh. right? So what our bad guy did is he went into the bathroom, closed the door, went into the shower and turns on the water, figuring that will protect him from the fire. What he didn't realize is that the fire consumes all the oxygen in the area. Uh-huh. Right. So that was that. And yeah. And he ended up dying from asphyxiation. Oh, man. Well, you know, uh, my friend Linda Larson, who we had on the show, um, it's probably been more than a year ago. She was a hostage and they threw in the tear gas and she was cooking a um, burger on the or had or no, oh, no, she had cooked one and the gas was still on. And the whole house went up just like that. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, yeah. you know, that's, you got to use some discretion in that. But we were kind of, I, I do understand it was kind of between the rock and a hard place. You can't let this guy just keep, if he hadn't been firing rounds, uh, they would have let us continue. Eventually, this guy is going to wear out. Yeah. You know, and, and, and we'll, we'll probably be able to resolve it. Mm-hmm. But, he just kept firing rounds, kept firing rounds. And even when the fire went off, rounds started cooking off. There were loose rounds in the area. And so it was just too, too dangerous, you know, to do that. So that was the one and only person that, that during my era that was lost, you know, and it wasn't because he chose to stay. Right. Yeah. He could have walked out that door Uh and he chose to stay under the false belief that the water would protect him from the fire. He didn't realize there would be no oxygen. He asphyxiate. Wow. That is yeah. crazy. Now. Okay. So you're a private investigator now, aren't you? Uh, well, actually I'm still licensed as a private detective. Mm-hmm. I've ramped back most of my, I only take you now very, very select cases if I find it interesting enough. <laughs> do you, now do you, do you drive a Ferrari to your cases? Oh no, a Lamborghini. Oh, let me I'm just okay, joking. Yeah. <laughs> no, I drive a 2017 Tundra truck. <laughs> That's I'm what not, everybody I, has on the islands. They they have a, a Toyota Tundra with a little bit of lift on it. Yeah, yeah. Mine doesn't have a lift because I'm not a tire a tall and I don't want to have to climb up a ladder. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to get down the lava roads to go surf. Yeah. So. You know, but yeah, no, but uh, yeah, I still do a little bit of uh, private detective work. Most of my work now is as a professional speaker, mm-hmm. training, consulting, keynote speaking, um, working in that kind of area. I will tell you one more hostage, uh, call well, barricade more than hostage. All right. Party. What do you got? Yeah. You know? Okay. This one, because. It kind of emphasizes this whole thing about respect. Okay. Right. So this goes back prior to uh, us having the uh, formal training from the FBI and all that stuff. And actually, before we'd even, we're just beginning to put together a the negotiation unit. Uh, Gary was still in the process and we hadn't really formalized. Got a phone call. And uh, it was the SWAT team was down at the at the harbor. You know mm-hmm. that we have a couple of harbors. It was down at a small boat harbor, and there'd been a guy that had been firing rounds at people on the on the shoreline. Luckily, he missed. You know, wow. and um, 
So this predates the, the one I just told you. Mm -hmm. And so what happened was they, I got the call and they were kind of, literally, it was like, Hey, we got this guy down here at the Harbor. You know, he fired some rounds. He, he missed, you know, SWAT teams in place, snipers are in place. They can take him out. But you know, they, the boss said, call you, see if you want to come talk to him. I said, of course I'll come talk to him. You know, I'm going to yeah, go. Yeah. Yeah, this is so exciting. This is awesome. Right. So I get there, uh, you know, I'll make the long story short. You know, I, I get there and this is in the middle of the day, which should have been my first clue that this was different. It wasn't zero dumb 30 in the morning. Uh -huh. Right. 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 And this is in the middle of the day. So I get there and not having had any formal training at the time, I walk right up to this guy. Oh, so he's just on the beach with a gun. Yeah. Just, I'm, I'm, but see, here's the part. Okay. <laughs> I didn't realize he had the gun. No, no one told you? Yeah. Well, they tried to. And I, I use this again in one of my in some of my my talks that I give about the disadvantage of arrogance. Okay. And what happened right. is I come flying, you know, I come flying up there because this is an exciting thing, right? And I slam the brakes on my car and I jump out just like in the movies and I start walking towards this guy and there's these officers going, "Hey, Detective Owens, Detective Owens," and I'm like, "Hey, don't worry, I got this. I'm a negotiator." <laughs> Yeah, I was so wrapped up in myself, right? You know, because I had drunk guys letting their girlfriends out. Uh -huh. So I must be good at this stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I walk right up to this guy. And I like, and I had this standard pitch that I give whenever I talk to anybody as far as negotiation. It was like, my name is Jeff Owens. I'm with the police department. I'm here to work with you on this situation. At which point in time, they're supposed to tell me their sob story and give up. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. nobody told this guy. Oh, okay. <laughs> so instead, he reaches behind him and pulls the gun from back of the, from behind his back. Oh. The co cops have been trying to tell me he still has the gun. Uh huh. <laughs> so now I'm facing this guy. He's like four or five feet away from me, mm -hmm. and he's got a gun in my face. Mm -hmm. And he starts to yell and scream and swear and call me every name in a book, just a you know really humiliating, attacking my dignity. Yeah. What did I want to do? The exact know. same thing anybody wants to do when somebody is disrespecting you. I wanted to return the disrespect. Sure. Okay. Who are you? You can't talk to me like that. I'm the good guy. You're the bad guy. I'm the cop. You're the, the crook. Uh -huh. You're ugly. I'm good looking. <laughs> you, you got the gun. I don't. <laughs> right. So it's like, that was it going through my head that yeah. I really, because I was, I was actually getting angry because uh -huh. you know, I wasn't used to people talking to me like that. And then I realized, though, because I looked this guy in the eyes, I've been on the wrong side of the gun a couple of times in my life and uh -huh. you know, look this guy in the eyes. And I knew if I give him reason, he'd pull the trigger. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I started doing the only thing I could do. What? I started to talk to him. Okay. And I was like, I, to this day, I don't remember exact words I said. Okay. But it was along the lines of, Hey, you know, man, you, you, come on. You don't need to have that gun on me. I didn't come out with my gun on you. I mean, we know that you already had done some stuff with a gun and I didn't come out with my gun. Why? Because I respect you. I respect you as a human being and as a man. Come on, talk to me, man. Tell me what's going on. Let me hear. I want to hear what you have to say. I want to, huh? I, I respect your life. I want to hear what's going on. And then I shut up. And how'd it go? It went really well, actually. He vented and he vented and he vented. It seemed to me like a very long time. Yeah, yeah. 
it actually wasn't all that long, you know, several minutes worth, you know what I mean? But, and he vented and talked all about how he felt disrespect and like he felt like uh, prejudiced against and that nobody was treating him fair and life was giving him a hard time and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he just, all this stuff, right? You know, and so eventually we were, I was able to, you know, okay, you know what? I, I can feel it for you. I understand, you know, but we're going to have to put it, we're going to have to, you know, come to a resolution here, mm -hmm. you know, and let's be honest, you can shoot me right now, mm -hmm. but if you do, the SWAT guys are going to shoot you. Right. And as much as I don't want to die, I don't want you to die either. And he kind of like, okay, you put the gun down, we took him into custody. And the reason <laughs> I tell that, yeah, the reason I tell that story is that was the one that one I had a lot of experiences in my life, mm -hmm. but that was the one that brought me to conscious awareness of the importance of treating people with respect. I did not like this guy. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, and I certainly didn't agree with what he was doing, uh -huh. but I knew if I treated him with disrespect, I would die. Yeah. And that really hit home with me. It took a long time for me to really, really, you know, that became it. And from that kind of moment on, I realized in every interaction that I have with every person in every situation, and I fail at it all the time, mm -hmm. is try the best I can to treat that person, myself, and the situation with respect. Mm -hmm. You know, so again, one of the little memes I throw out yeah, there, yeah. right? is never allow yourself or anyone under your authority if you're in a position of leadership to embarrass, humiliate, or attack the dignity of anyone. Because uh -huh. that's what he had been doing to me. And that's what I wanted to do in return to him. Right. But if I had, we would have had an entirely different outcome. Yeah, totally. Right? Yeah. So never allow yourself or anyone under your authority to embarrass, humiliate, or attack the dignity of anyone, including yourself. Respect yourself mm -hmm. in all situations, too. I didn't grovel to him because I respected myself too much for that. Mm -hmm. Deal with whatever the situation, the behavior, the conduct, the action, the statements in a way that does not embarrass, humiliate, or attack the dignity of the person. And I find that most situations go better when we do that. Oh my goodness. What, uh, Jeff, how can people get a hold of you? <laughs> they need, everybody needs to get a hold of you. <laughs> well, uh, my email is, is really easy. It's my name, Jeff, J E F F at Jeffrey Owens.com. J E F F R E Y O W E N S.com. And if I forget that one, it's time to put me someplace where I don't hurt myself. Exactly. Yeah. Now, <laughs> That's also um, the name of my website, which is jeffreyowens.com. And uh, my, my business phone is 808-367-3210. There you go. So you're speaking a lot in the islands. Are you speaking on the mainland a lot? Not, not as much as I want to. Okay. I've been built my whole uh, speaking career here in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. uh, I am making a conscious effort to get my message out there outside of Hawaii. Got it. Um, just I've had a couple of opportunities here recently to to do that and looking to do it more. All right. There you go. Well, you got it, folks. Hire Jeff and get out of <laughs> situations a lot more easily. That's that's what I'm taking from this. So, Jeff, 
Thank you so much for coming on Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups. You're just a joy. Well, thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Time went by a lot faster than I expected it to. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to spend some time with you because you're pretty awesome too. Oh, thanks. Thanks for joining me. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it. I'll see you next time. But do you remember when we were growing up, did your mom ever tell you never to get in a refrigerator? She did. And yeah. in fact, made the point that anytime you throw a refrigerator away, they have to take the doors off of it to keep people from getting in. Because if you get in, you would get stuck in there. Well, it would like latch you in. like. And I have spent a lot of time in my adult life trying to figure out exactly how somebody would get stuck in a refrigerator. I think it's it's one of those old ones like my granny used to have that has the big handle latch thing on it. Oh, I, it must okay. be that. That's what I've concluded because this goes through my mind every so often. <laughs> because it really shouldn't be any harder to open the door from the inside than it would be from the outside. That's always what I thought. And that's what I've always wanted. But... You know, Mama wouldn't have told me that if it wasn't a real concern in the 70s that your children would be locked into a refrigerator. And well, because you know what happened? Because I think here's I think this is what happened. So you have one kid in Alabama and now, you know, everybody freaked out about it. Well, you have like an old farm somewhere and that you didn't take stuff to the dump. You just put it out in the back. And <laughs> I think that has to be what it was, because I was always like, why? You can open this thing. No problem. Like, what is the deal? That has to be it.